I think there's a whole lot of different ways people could answer yeah. how do you grow right. spiritually. And Willow Creek had tried to create what I think is somewhat artificial personally, these different stages of growth. Um, they called them um, exploring Christ. This is like right before you get saved. Then growing in Christ. That's what happens right after you get saved. Then you're close to Christ. And then you're Christ-centered. Like, well, okay, what does that really mean, okay? <laughs> but, they, but they tried to have these different stages, and they tried to look. I mean, they tried to, like, take all this data from all these people and try to say, can we create something that's replicable among churches to help people grow, all right? And in looking and trying to identify these people in these different stages of growth, okay, they tried to look and say, okay, well, this is what it takes to get from someone from this place to this place. This is what it takes to get from this place to this place, all right? So anyway, the thing, the whole point of all that is when they looked at what is it that causes people to grow, okay, there was only one thing that was consistent that caused people to grow in every one of those stages. So consistently when people said, this is what's causing me to grow and how I got from this cult stage. I mean, people weren't necessarily saying that because they were coming up with that. But what caused me to go from here to here to here to here, there was only one thing that consistently was the way in which people said and described what caused them to move from here to here. Anybody want to guess what that is? Being in the Word. That's exactly right. Yeah. Studying. One okay. with Christ. Yeah, that's exactly right. It was about yeah. being in the Word, and that's what happened to you yeah. when you and talk about that, it. I caught on fire, and I could not put the yeah. book down. I've, I've seen it in Bill, too, Darnell there. I watched him go yeah. on fire and in the Word, right too. And that's the noticeable thing that happens, that my wife noticed in me, and all of a sudden she's going, I'm going gosh, why did, Lord, why does my wife not? <laughs> exactly. You know? <laughs> What's the deal? Yeah, what <laughs> <is> <laughs> and, and so I had to pray, and, and some lady just came up and laid hands on her at church, you know, like four or five months after that, and then she got it too. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's so interesting, because when you think about when you first become a Christian, I don't know about for most of you guys, but I know for me, when you first become a Christian, it's like you just hunger to want to know everything about the Bible. And then you, a lot of times what you, you I usually find is people who sort of fall off that are falling off also. They're not involved in anything yeah. with studying scripture, anything with their really being in the word, in whatever form that may be in, um, that people just start falling away. Oh, well, that's pretty um, much the way that people are in life. I mean, it, it you is. get enthusiastic about something and it disappears. If you um, don't stay with it. That's right. Right, right. They lack consistency. Yeah. So... Where I'm going with this, like where am I going with this, okay, is remember when I did this with the pen, right? Mm -hmm. I think all of you are here. Okay, so just again, think of this. So we said, we said, we're saying here the scripture is the, one of the things, at least is not the main thing that keeps people growing in Christ, okay? So I want you to think of this as scripture, all right? And we sort of did this as a metaphor. You got the Old Testament, you got the New Testament, all right? So here it is, okay? I mean, here's scripture. Now, just because here it is and it's being represented by this pen, is that what's going to change you? Nope. I mean, I can even go in and I can learn and memorize and I can do all that with scripture, 
but is that necessarily what's going to do anything? And it's sort of like this. I kept showing you guys all and using this as a model for saying this is like with how scripture is divided. But what we didn't ask is what is this for? It's a tool for writing. That's right. Okay? So you can look at this all day and I can see it there and say, wow, look at all these things and I can know what it all means and I can really get into and stuff, but I'm not really using it for what it's meant to do. It's meant to write, right? I mean, that's what a pen, the function of a pen is for. Have you ever considered that God writes his word? Did you know he wrote? Do you, do you actually know that God wrote some of his words that we have in here? He personally wrote it. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Hmm. Do you know what God, this is a pen. So God wrote some of these, some, something actually that I think is shown in this pen. But do you know what he used to write it? His finger. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I remember the Ten Commandments are on there. Very wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> Did you guys know that? No, no. I didn't. Okay, so listen, I'm I'm impressed, Jason. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this is what he said. He said, when I went up to the mountain, this is Moses talking, to receive the tablets of stone, Ten Ten Commandments, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you. I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. I'm reading Deuteronomy 9, 9-12, by the way. I know. And the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. At the end of 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me those two tablets of stone written with his finger, the tablets of the covenant. It's the only thing we have that we know in here where God actually personally wrote with his finger those tablets he gave to Moses. But now we have not just those tablets, do we? We have this entire Bible that's the word of God. What are we supposed to be? What's, what are we supposed to do with this? What does Scripture say we are supposed to do with this? Think of writing. Write it on your heart. Very good, Bill. Okay. Does so, it say he writes it on our heart? Yeah. So Proverbs seven one through three. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye, as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Ooh. Yeah. So what's interesting about the survey, when I looked into it as I was asking the question, I saw that survey, it's not just scripture. In fact, they were trying to come up with words, and that's where sort of my heart got into all teaching and stuff is it can't it's not you know just saying something here's your Bible or even telling people just open it up okay it's got to do more than that it's got to have those words written on your heart 
Yes. And they would they use the term engage with scripture. Yeah. And you can find people who will just read this and just go, it's so dry, it's so boring. And they're trying to do it by themselves, or they just and they just give up. And there's so many people who've just given up. You look statistically at Christians over the last, you know, decades, and less and less and less do they actually not just read, but engage and wrestle with scripture. I think the question you gotta ask then too yeah. is what does that mean? Write it on your heart. You know, yes. to me it means it, that becomes part of you. Uh-huh. It's an integral part of your your heart, your soul, right. Right. your your mind. Yeah, exactly. Which is ultimately your, your what, strength. I mean, that's why we try to get together. That's why we're going to go through Isaiah, is because it's not just to let's learn about Isaiah. It's really hopefully that Isaiah in reading it is going to change us. Yeah. Okay. That we're going to engage the scripture. Yeah. It's not just Greg saying something. Otherwise, what's the point? Saying, what's the point? Exactly. Yeah. And what I want to look at today is in the first passages, the first section of Isaiah. We're going to look at it in, in more detail today. Because I think that the first section of Isaiah gives us a hint of how we better write that on our heart. <laughs> how do we come to this in a way that we do? Because, remember, I'm going to go and read it now again, different version. What is the whole, everyone remember now, what's the whole, um, what's the big judgment that God's telling Isaiah to tell the people? It's that they're not writing it on their heart. (laughs) Okay? I mean, if you look at all of Isaiah, the whole thing of Isaiah is really around the fact that the people were not, they had the word of God. Okay? But it was not being written on their hearts. You can have it. It can be sitting out here. They're going through the motions. That's right. And that's exactly what they're doing. And that's what mm-hmm. we're going to see over and over again. Mm-hmm. And also, hopefully, look and say, well, what's going to make that difference? What is it that makes that difference as to whether I'm doing that or whether I'm not? And again, I think the beginning of Isaiah is going to help us see some of that. Um, so I'm going to read again Isaiah 6. Okay, this is 1 through 10. This is a different version, um, so it'll sound a little bit different. So you can just listen. Um, So it says, In the year King Huzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, with his train filling the palace. Seraphs were standing above him, each had six wings, with two of it would cover his face, and two would cover his feet, and two it would fly. One would call to another, sacred, 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 Yahweh of armies. His splendor is filling of the entire earth. The doorposts of the seal shook at the sound of the one who called, while the house was filling with smoke. I said, ah, me, because I'm ruined, because I'm a man of polluted lips. This is Isaiah. And I live among the people polluted of lips, because my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh of armies. But one of the seraphs flew to me, in his hand a coal that he had taken with tongs from an altar. He made it touch my mouth, and he said, There, this has touched your lips, and your waywardness will depart. Your wrongdoing will be expiated. I heard the Lord's voice saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? That's almost like I remember what the story you just said. That's almost like what happened to him and as he was dead, like God saying, calling back. I said, here I am, send me. And the 
Yahweh says, go and say to this people, keep listening, but don't understand. Keep looking, but don't acknowledge. Fatten this people's mind, which means make it so it can't do anything anymore, and make its ears heavy, smear its eyes so it doesn't see with its eyes and listen with its ears, and its mind understands and it turns and there is healing for it. What we're going to, when we get to this passage, we'll look at it more. But in essence, in essence, what the Lord's doing is saying, I'm actually saying, giving over to the people what they're already doing. <laughs> and this is what they're doing. This is the whole thing of Isaiah, is the people had the word, they had all these miracles they've seen of God, and they were not hearing, they were not understanding, they were not encountering God. He was not writing that on their words, on their heart. And this is that's what's so easy to have as, as the Christian church, is for us to just become complacent individually or as a church to where are we really being changed and encountering God through this word. Okay. So anyway, that's just sort of a, a little um, overview as we get into tonight's verses. That's something to keep in mind as we go through all of Isaiah, is that's what he's constantly calling us to do every day, every minute, is saying, is this word being written on your hearts? Is it changing you? Are you even listening to it? Are you really hearing it? Are you hearing Jeff preach on Sunday, and it goes on one ear out the other? Are you reading it and going, that doesn't really mean anything anymore? You know? And what is it we can do as we encounter this in a way that will change us? That's what I want you to keep in mind tonight as we look at these as these passages. Okay, so open up to Isaiah. <clears throat> Any questions so far? There's not really much, we've, <laughs> but just makes sense. Yep. Okay, so what I want to do tonight is lay out our next few weeks. And someone asked me, um, and I always forget to say anything about this. You know, I'm not going to, I mean, I haven't tried to say, oh, we'll do this with Isaiah, do that. But I would really encourage you guys that if you can, start just reading Isaiah and read it all the way through. Then read it all the way through again. Then read it all the way through again. Even though you don't, maybe a lot of it you won't get, and I don't either right now. Just start getting Isaiah soaking. In. Do I have to read it to my wife? That's like we great. Did last time. Yeah, like what you did with Galatians. This is a little longer. <laughs> a little longer, right? But if you take even sections of it, you uh-huh. know, read it to your wife, me read it to my wife, or read it to yourself, or listen. I know some people listen on audio. Okay, I know um, Gil. Oh, does. That's what we've been doing. There's listening Gil. on audio. Yeah, Gil's it's been really listening good. to the audio version of it. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so you can do that too. Is you know, just start really getting this into you as much as you can, uh, because you'll see that's how we will be able to hear <laughs> and not and, and hear with understanding. So, I want to outline the sections that we're looking at. So, if you remember, anybody remember, we're mainly looking at chapters what right now? What's the main section we're saying is like the opening of everything else for Isaiah six. So, chapter well six is the Sort of the overlying theme of all of Isaiah. Yeah, it's the intro. But what do we? What did I say? We're looking at as a section that we read every week. 
that is like the preface, in essence, that's going to become sort of the framework for everything else in Isaiah. It was chapter 1, verse 1, 2. Anybody remember? Oh, 1, 2, 2, uh, 2, what? 2, 10, or 2, 2, 5. Good, okay. So 1, 1 to 2, 5. So we're going to spend our time looking at that over these next several weeks. It's really getting down 1, 1 to 2, 5. Then when we're, we're done with that, that's when we're going to be able to sort of like, it's, it's sort of like the, your car, you know? Maybe like in first gear, <laughs> okay? Then we're going to start going a little faster and zip through more, read all of it, but we're not going to spend so much time at every section. If we did, we, we would never finish, okay? Um, so I want to sort of lay out some different sections of 1, 1 to 2, 5 to just sort of keep in mind of what we're going to look at, so the overview of the whole thing. So we had, we looked at the last, well, not counting last week, we looked at the last two weeks, so the beginning, which is really sort of the opening, um, we have, which is, I guess you call it the subscription, the superscription, sorry, superscription, which is 1-1, one, one, where it says the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. You can sort of, if you want to, in your Bible, sort of mark that part right there and just call it the superscription. So you sort of label, so say you can sort of say... Just that intro there? Just that intro. Just call it the superscription. Just want to organize a little bit. So just, I'm just what I'm doing is I'm just sort of saying, here's this, this is a superscription, okay? Just to label the sections we're going to be looking at. Okay, make sense? It's almost like an outline we're going to do. Does that make sense to you, John? I think. So define, just call this superscription. Define okay. superscription, would you? It's the opening. Just means that opening. It's it's the high grade. Uh, it's like me saying that when I send out my email to all of you guys. Just say gentlemen in Christ. Right. That's the superscription. Got it. Okay. I've never heard that term before. So Greg, you wanted to write what you just said one, one to two five on that lead page right there. On but the, just right here in the margin. Yeah, just in the margin. Just call this oh. first. This first paragraph, just call it superscription. Superscription? Okay. I'm just calling it superscription. You can call it whatever you want. No, no, no. <laughs> Good. I like that. I know it's a big, it's a big term. Okay. All right. Because I want to just have down sort of the order because we're going to look at these somewhat in sections. And there are sections. This 1, 1 through 2, 5. Okay? All right. Next. Starting at verse 2, and I'm going to just read it. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkeys its master crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Does that sound like something we just read? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, um, from two to four, well, sorry, two to three, just that section, I'm going to call the problem. Okay, so that's the problem. Okay, I and these are my words. So you can, you guys might want to go and call it something else. Okay, but that's the problem. In essence, they're right there. Isaiah's laying out. This is the problem with these people. Okay, we just start. They're not in the Word of God, <laughs> or they are hearing the Word of God, but they're not really hearing the Word of God. Okay. They're going to, you know, um, 
They're going to the temple. They're hearing the scrolls open and read, but they're not hearing. They're not understanding. It's not changing them. Okay, So that's really the overall problem that all of Isaiah is going to be addressing is that part. Yes, do you have a, you have a look there? No? I do, okay. but I, I, we can wait. Keep going. Sorry. You want to ask? Go ahead. I'm sure we're going to come back and dig into this. We are. That's what so, we're going to do tonight. So, yeah. Yeah, so okay. Keep, um, so then... We're going to go, we're going to then take a look at verses 4, and you guys do that through 9. I'm going to call it sort of the condition of the people. All right, so what you'll notice that God, through Isaiah, is describing what the current condition is of the people in that time. All right, so in other words, he's saying, you're a sinful nation. You're laden with inequity. You're evildoers. Um, he's describing the overall condition of, they call it the condition of their heart, the condition of them as people. That's what he's going to do really four through nine. Okay? So far so good? And you'll see just through all the things. Notice how, what he does. He says, your country lies desolate. Um, you know, he's just constantly describing what the condition is of the current condition of the people, all right? Then, starting in verse 10, if you take a look, it starts with a new section, and it says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. <laughs> all right, so all of a sudden, what you now have, and this goes from 10 all the way to 20, verse 20, and we'll look at this more when we go along, but 10 through 20 is really God summoning the people. He's saying to them, this is your problem. This is what you need to do. He's making a summons to them with authority and saying, you need to stop this. <laughs> you need to change. So really, if you take a look at 10 through 20, it's a summons. 18 says it all. It says, come now. Yeah. Let us reason. And today. see what he's doing is God saying, let's, let's, you stop it. Yeah. Okay? And he's telling people, stop this. All right? This is where who you are, and this is what you're doing. Stop it. And he's saying, turn back to me. Right? Let's reason together. That's what we're going to find out that happens in 10 through 20. In some ways, this lays out a lot of the themes that we're going to see with throughout the book of Isaiah. All right? But then what happens is 21 through 31 is what I'm calling sort of God's response. So what happens is God summons the people to change, and the people don't. <laughs> All right? So God is saying, you guys need to open your ears, hear with your you know ears, understand, turn, repent. <clears throat> God summons the people to do this, and what do they do? Nothing. They just continue in their ways. And so what you see in 21 through 31 is God basically, in a sense, almost really, you could say, bringing judgment. It's God's response to the fact that they're not listening to him. The irony is like, the problem is you're not hearing. Then God speaks, which they don't hear, and they just keep doing what they're doing. <laughs> All right? And then God says, if you don't change... This is what's going to happen to you. This is my response. 
Okay. Following so far, everybody sort of laid out? Yeah, that was 21 through... So that's really 21 through 31. Okay. <clears throat> All right, and then finally, 2-1 through 2-5. And this is, you will see this pattern in Scripture a lot. So in 2-1 through 2-5, what do you think we should call this? And I'm going to just read it. You guys can throw out a word you would use. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Jude, concerning Jude and Jerusalem, it shall come to pass in the later, later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall Go forth the law, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations and shall decide disputes for many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall be lift, nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more. O house of J Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Redemption. Redemption, great word. You guys can call it redemption. redemption. Okay, so great word. That's better word, word than I have right now, which is hope. I have hope. Okay. So amongst all this fact that the people are not doing anything, God gives hope. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay, so I just want to lay that out so we have sort of a sense as to what we're going to be going through in the next few weeks. Okay, so... Let's go to the problem now and dive in. All right, so to Isaiah, Isaiah 1, we had already covered the superscription. <laughs> John's now favorite word going to be superscription. Okay, right, yeah. We covered in the last couple of weeks, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. And we talked about who Yahweh is, what Lord is. When does God get the personal name Yahweh? We looked it up in Exodus. Everyone follow? Remember that? Mm -hmm. All right. So now we come to the very first words that God is going to speak. That Yahweh is going to speak to I to the people. Okay, to Isaiah. All right. He's really speaking to the people through Isaiah. So notice what he says: For the Lord has spoken, and now this is what the Lord says. So I want you to look at the very first word that the Lord says. What is that word? Children. Here. Child. Child of God. What did you say? Here. No. Look, Children. Look right Children. here. Look Look at the very first word. Verse 2. Oh, the wickedness. For the Lord. Well, look at verse 2. 1, 2. Hear, O heavens, give earth, or hear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. Colon. Now, the very first word the Lord speaks Children. is... Children. Children. You see that, Bruce? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, okay. Okay. I wasn't getting it. Now, this is a very important word. <laughs> okay. Key word. God is addressing the people as his children. His children. And this is the Hebrew word called ben. Just like you can think <laughs> like B E N. And when it's in plural, it's benim. Okay. And it really sort of more literally means sons, but it's not sons in just the sense of masculine sons, 
but sons is addressing all people, okay, of Israel here, all right? So the very first word that comes out of the Lord's mouth is he is calling them his children, his sons. Yeah, if we are. They are his, if we are his children, yeah. we are his sons, what does that make God? Father, Father, God. Father. When did God become Father in Scripture? So here we have him addressing the people of Israel as my children. Now, God back in Genesis creates people, yeah. right? He creates humans. He's their creator. We think of God as our creator. But here, God is very specific. Yahweh is saying, you are my children. Okay, it's like me looking and saying to my daughter, "You are my daughter." You saying to your son, "You are my son." Okay. So Adam and Eve are considered to be his children. Well, I always thought it of hasn't. Being I, well, in one hand, in one sense, of course they are. Right. Okay. He's the creator. But he hasn't called them that. No, he yet. doesn't call them. Specifically. That's my point. I see. Okay. When does God <clears throat> first call? his people children and say that I am in essence I am your father anybody know where that is think yeah I don't think yeah think about that first guess would be Abraham in that area but I think it's later it's actually it is actually later than Abraham yes yeah, not Abraham I would say Moses in Egypt his children okay so Moses in Egypt very good so I want you guys, Bibles, you're going to have to grab your Bibles on this one. I want you to open up to Exodus chapter 4. And as we're going through there, I just want you to keep in mind, it all style starts with how God addresses who we are. <laughs> And who do we consider him to be? All right. I mean, that's what he's doing. He's trying to address the people, and he's calling them his children. Why? Is that a big deal? Um, so in chapter 4, so open your Bibles. you got chapter 4. All right, 420. Well, let me, I'm going to start at 421, Okay. So if you're looking at the subscripts, this is what's happened. Is you've had the burning bush, and remember that's the burning bush is where we remember we heard about Yahweh was mm -hmm. in the burning bush. Mm -hmm. So the burning bush, Yahweh, and then Moses. Um, so Moses has that, okay, and then this is a part where Moses is going to return to Egypt. All right. So he goes to his father-in-law in verse 18, says, "Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt." They're obviously in slavery in Egypt. And then in verse 21, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. All right? Then... When Pharaoh does that, you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, 
Notice here we're hearing, for the Lord has spoken. This is the first time in Scripture we hear, thus says the Lord. (laughs) This is the first time with authority that God is saying, you go tell the people, this is what I say. And this is the pattern you see with Isaiah. This is all through the prophets. Is God speaks to Chris as a prophet, and Chris then goes tells everybody else. This is the pattern that you have at this time. Is how God speaks to his people. So it says, so, so thus says the Lord, what? Israel is my first what? Firstborn first Ben. Benim. Ben. Okay. Israel is my first. This is the first time God identifies that he oh. is the father. Okay. And Israel is his not only his son, but his firstborn son. Okay? And notice what happens. Um, he continues on, and he says, And I say to you, let my son, now you see the language now, all son, son language comes in. Before this, there's never son language. There's never children language. There's never God's a father, and these are his children. Okay? But now all of a sudden you start seeing this language which is going to occur throughout all the scripture, all the way actually to the very end, where now God is calling his people son. What is Jesus called? The son son of God. Okay. So let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. All right. Everyone remember that from um, the movies and what was that? Um, the Disney one of the Pharaoh about the Pharaoh and stuff. I was just thinking Yul Brenner and, and Yul Brenner one too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Yeah, pretty movie. So it says in verse twenty-four, at the lodging place on the way, the Lord met him, sought to put him to death. Then Zephora took a flint and cut off the son's foreskin. We can skip all that. We move to twenty-seven. We've had enough of circumcision after Galatians. All right. So verse twenty-seven. That's what she says. Bridegroom, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll just skip over that. I know, it's just, it's just <laughs> um, and I mean it sort of teasingly, so we don't. Yes. Focus on that, but Fair then. Enough. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went to meet him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words the Lord had just spoken and all the signs that he had commanded Moses to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. Notice what happens now. So Moses goes back. He speaks Thus says the Lord to the people, okay? The people hear, and how did the people, so how do we know they really heard? Because they believed. Because they believed, okay? And the people believed. In other words, they put faith in God. And when they heard, getting getting the language now, hear, okay? They believed when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction. So now think about it. My father has come. He has seen what I'm going through. And they believed what Moses said, which is the Lord is going to rescue us from here. Okay. And they bowed their heads 
And you know that they believed because what did they do? They worshipped. worshipped. Okay? So you see sort of the, the connection here. God spoke. The people heard. The people res- believed and responded and worshipped. All right? But now look at, I just want to read the first couple of verses of chapter 5. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, listen to Pharaoh's response now, okay, yes. versus the people. <laughs> Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But what does Pharaoh say? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I would not let Israel go. So what's the difference between Pharaoh and the people in relationship to God? People of Israel know the Lord. The people of Israel know the Lord. Pharaoh does not know the Lord. Yeah, doesn't acknowledge him at all. What else do we know about the people of Israel in the relationship with God that Pharaoh does not have? No fear. What? Fear. Not fear. What's the relationship we just talked about? What's this whole discussion? Children of God. Exactly. Okay. Pharaoh is not. Yeah. God is not saying, Yahweh doesn't say, Pharaoh's my child says, Israel, you are my child. Okay? And they respond in saying they believed, saying, yes, you are. In essence, what they're saying, what? Is you are my father. You are the one who's going to care for me. You are the one who's going to bring me out of Israel. How many of you are fathers? (laughs) Okay? I mean, you think about your kids. Or you think about your father, okay, good or bad father, whatever. What does a father, what's a father supposed to do? He's supposed to what for his children? What? Care for them. Absolutely. Discipline them. Exactly. Which we obviously but always see, loves them. But always loves them. Protects them. Right? Okay. So you see that pattern with that going on there? I think it's pretty profound. And, you know, if you think of God's calling us as children, then... God's only begotten son. That's his child too. Yeah. Respect. Yeah. We're in, in believing you're in good company. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. We're in good company. So I want you to now turn to Exodus six. Let's sort of give you some backstory with this. We're Again, about the whole thing. So Exodus six. Exodus. 6. Yeah. Just turn one page, mostly in your Bibles, or slide up on your phone. <laughs> okay. So I want to just read. I want you to listen again to this language here. God spoke, 6-2, God spoke to Moses and said to him, so I want you to listen to how the father is with his kids now, with the children. I am the Lord, is what God says to Moses. He went and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this, but this is sort of interesting. We just talked about how we don't hear the son language until until um, Israel is in Egypt. God related differently here to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and God did not reveal his personal name, Yahweh, Yahweh. to them. Yeah. 
Okay? So he knew them. He talked to them. But there's a change in relationship that occurs here between all the people up to Israel, all right, where before that God spoke and took care of them and all that, created them. But you don't hear that father-son language going on, okay? So then it says, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. So I want you to think, this is the father talking to his children now. I've given you this land, the land in which you lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of my people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant, in essence, my promise. Say, therefore, Moses, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you for your possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. Are you guys ready? Yeah. But they what? They refused to listen. They did not listen. See how how easily... so I want you to think of as a father, either as you being a father or your father. <laughs> I remember this to my kids, being a kid, when you don't listen to your father. Okay? But the father here, he's, what is he, what's God doing? He's saying, I'm your father who cares about you deeply. I'm going to bring you out of this oppression, out of this slavery. I'm going to save you, okay? Because you are my children. I have said you're my children, and I'm going to bring you out of this. All right? Yeah. I, I know we're, you're making a point with all this, but I just no points. <laughs> we're just reading. We're hearing. Yeah. On that note, this is the stuff I'd read in the Bible, and and it always drives me crazy. It's like, you you guys, he told you what to say, and you didn't say it. Why didn't you say exactly what he said to say to Pharaoh? And they well, come up with well a Moses does. Moses, Moses does say what Moses tells. Moses tells Pharaoh exactly what God tells Moses to tell Pharaoh. Well, not according to what we just read. No. What you're reading, okay? So this is again hearing. <laughs> what you're seeing happen here is Moses spoke, okay, and he's speaking to the people. No, I mean back in uh, 4 and 5. Right. So in 4 and 5, what's yeah, happening? Yeah. God's, through Moses, God speaks to Pharaoh, what, to the people. He speaks to the people. And the people say, yes, you're my father. I believe that. Right? Mm-hmm. He goes and tells Moses, and Moses says, in, in our vernacular, screw you. Okay? I don't know this God. He's not my Pharaoh. It's, it's yeah, Pharaoh. I mean, sorry. Yeah, what did I say? Moses. Moses. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> get that right. Thank you. Um, but it's like Pharaoh says, "That's not my dad." All right, I'm not his child. 
It's like some other father coming up to you and saying, do this. And you go, you're not my dad. Why do I have to listen to you? Right, exactly. Well, well, again, maybe it's assumed here, but according to the words here, he didn't say those words. He didn't say what words? He didn't say, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, oh, I will I see what kill you're your firstborn son. Yeah, okay. That is a throwdown and super heavy and directly what he should have said. Now instead, he says all this other nonsense, so then suddenly Pharaoh is very surprised uh, when all his, his firstborn son is killed. Yeah, I don't know... You're making a good point. I'm not going to spend much time on that. This stuff happens all the time in the Old Testament. You're like, why did yeah. you just say it? Well, I think God would, had purposed that uh, Pharaoh wasn't going to let him go for well, I the understand. sake of the right. Right. I understand that, but nonetheless, there's like a clear, like, you didn't follow directions. Well, the thing you have to, maybe, and maybe it's just that the scripture is not trying to tell you the entire, everything that Moses said. It's telling you the important things that Moses, that he said. Okay. Okay. So, he so because totally Moses got, I mean, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, "Let my people go." So we're getting sort of an abbreviated version. He says, "Let us go, that, so that we can go hold a feast in the wilderness." Right. Come on. That's way different. <laughs> if I was Pharaoh, go. Ah, uh, no. Guess again. How about not? How about get back to work? You know. Wait a minute. You're going to kill my firstborn son. Now I may be listening a little bit more. What's going on around here? Yeah. Uh, good point. Anyway, I don't want to try to get... I know, it's just yeah, one of those things. It's, it's, like, it's an interesting... It's a good observation. You should look into that. Um, crazy. You know, Greg, I yeah. find it interesting yeah. where there on um, uh, 6-9 where he tells the people of Israel that the Lord had said but they refused to listen. It makes me wonder why. You know, I mean, is it because Moses was saying it there? I mean... That's going to be the whole question. Why is why is Israel not listening when Isaiah speaks? And one chapter before, I mean, I I see Jason's point here. It's like they were going, yeah, and they worshipped. Right. And then, boom! One chapter later, boom. Well, and what we did not read. Yeah. Okay. So, very good point. There is a reason why that's true. Okay. Because the chapter we did not read is chapter five. Okay. There's a, what happens is just like the same thing. Well, well before in, I say that. In 9, when you finish 9, it says, and the people did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit Here, go ahead. and harsh slavery. So there we go. So that's the reason why they did not listen. Why did they not listen? Because in chapter 5, which we skipped, we would have seen that what happened was because of Moses going to Pharaoh and saying this, Moses, Pharaoh, we have my names right. Pharaoh put more restrictions more and put more, more hardships burgers. on the people. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so right, the people right. say, oh, it's really easy. God says he's going to save us. And then all of a sudden we're going through a little suffering now, which double double probably double a lot double. of suffering. You know. Okay, I shouldn't make light of that. And we're going to go through suffering now. And then all of a sudden... That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We don't believe anymore. Okay. And I was like, Moses, shut up. Yeah. It's sort of like you're you know, messing things up, Moses. Yeah, yeah. I'm being sort of flippant, but it's like my dad. I loved it. My dad would, you know, say, "I'm going to teach you to swim, Greg," and he would take me out in Newport Bay. I mean, the Newport um, Dune. I mean, Newport. Boy, too many Newport Dunes. 
out to the ocean at the Newport Pier. Thank you. And he would take me out, and we would. The way I learned to swim, he took me the frickin' past the pier. Oh, This is pre Jaws days. People, the movie came out. Okay. Yeah, but he he'd and still take you over to the, the crab cooker and show you the shark that was caught a hundred yards off. <laughs> no, he did. He never talked about the shark. But I mean, I remember people being like these little ants. But I love that time with my dad. It's like here's my dad. He's teaching me all this stuff. He's being such a good dad. And then what can happen? We go home, and all of a sudden it's like, you clean up your room. Yeah. Okay, because he was a Marine, all right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so all of a sudden it's like, or something's happening, and he's like, you know, be a man, all right? So you just see this relationship going on. And there, I think there's a lot of mirrors between our fatherhood sure. and us being fathers and what you see yeah, God's doing absolutely. here. He's being a father. But he's being a father that is not like our fathers. He's being a father who really cares. But look how quickly the people can turn on the father and not be the children anymore. And I, well, I think it's, say, that, that all leads into this whole thing. Like, okay, why would Moses not have said what God told him to say? You know why? Because he was probably trying to soften the blow. He probably didn't want to come in and just throw the hammer down and just get his head cut off or whatever <coughs> because it's like, are you, wait, are you kidding me? You're threatening me with your God that's going to kill my firstborn son? Right. What what more heavy thing could you and throw? And you down? might you might be right about that. Okay. But and as a result, they had to suffer because Pharaoh wasn't really that threatened and said, "Okay, how about we make life right. a little harder right. if you're going to start complaining?" Yeah. Okay, but you see how the quickly the people. So I want you to just look how quickly the people don't believe anymore. Which really they're basically saying, oh, "You're not really my father. You don't really care about me. We're going through all this oppression now. Of course, I don't really have faith in you." But I want you to notice in verse 6, the main, what God is saying is, I will take you to be my people. This is one of the most famous verses you see throughout all of Scripture, okay? which is, I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. Think of it, I will be your father. You are going to be my children. And I want you to know me. You see the relationship God sets up. He is a, it's a relationship of father to children. And he wants his children to believe. He wants his children to know him. Like you want, your, you want your son to know your heart for him, how much he loves you. The okay. word no, yeah. when I had paused earlier, yes. and I wanted to tell you, yeah, that word no yes. gets repeated a lot. It does. And... That's something I'd like so to So we're going to look at that right now. Good transition. Because I want you to look at Isaiah we're looking at right now. Okay? What did we say? This is the this these first two verses are the problem. Okay? I sort of identify as a problem. Look at verses two and three. Mm-hmm. Listen to the language. Children I have reared and brought you up. Okay? So it's not just children, I've, you're my children, but I have reared you. I have taken care of you, brought you up, but you have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. The word know there, Jason, and everyone 
is the same word know that you just read a minute mm-hmm. ago where God mm-hmm. says I want you to mm-hmm. know me this is something to know about the word know this is super important know in, in the Old Testament K-N-O-W alright is a word that does not so much mean intellectual knowledge it is a relational word oh, okay, okay? Written on the heart? It is a relational word. I'm going to read to you so you don't have to turn there. This is how relational this word is. This is in Genesis 4, where the word no maybe is the first time it appears. Listen to verse 1 of Genesis 4. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. That word no is the same no we're mm-hmm. reading. That no here being sex, sexual intercourse, the most intimate that happens between humans, is the same word no as what God is talking about us knowing Him. It is, it is a, it's the word yada, yada, I want to say yada, okay? Yada, Y-A-D-A, that's the Hebrew word for no. When you read it, it is a knowing relationally between two beings, between people and between God. Here, God says, I want you to know, I have chosen you to be my children, he says in Exodus, because I want you to know me. Really know I love you, know who I am, know everything about who I am as a father. That is God's desire. He chose his people to know him. <laughs> so if, if you're yeah. using the Adam and Eve, yes, though, and man and one woman are really a metaphor of of God. That, that absolutely, right. Yeah. Together. Yeah. The but, oneness but, of... But in order right. to know one another, they are have to be inside of one another. They're actually like... Like blending You've got together. The it's, not, exactly. it's not. It's not. It's not just a no. I love you. No, they're, they're all these external things. It, is that a, it, it actually is a is a physical com- combining right. of one is in the other, right. intertwined, which but is why within one another. Exactly within. And so that speaks of the intimacy and the connectedness and the love and the commitment and everything. That's what the sex act is supposed to do. In right. fact, what's really interesting is a lot of times scripture, like in the Song of Solomon. Um, Song of Songs, knowing and all that stuff, sex is not so much for for what we think. It's not so much to have babies. It is to share the intimacy of the real knowing we have. And you think about what, how does we, how do we know God and God knows us even more intimate than that? This is what's the amazing thing about our faith and our what God has done. Is think about it. You just said it. Husband and wife knowing the sexual intercourse, the physical thing. But guess what? You're inside. I'm going to be really blunt here. You're inside your wife, right? That's as, cl- that's as close as you two can get. But where's God? Mm-hmm. Where is the Spirit of God? Mm-hmm. He lives in us. Exactly. Why does the Spirit of God live in us? 
so we can know him more intimately than even we know our wives. So That's what's true. interesting about that, the Spirit of it's God is within yeah. us, but we still are required to know. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Which, which same as your wife, right? You, I mean, we all know this, right? You can just have sex, and it doesn't mean a thing. No, right. You're not really yeah. knowing each other. Right. The whole point is, is that that is all a really intimate knowing of them. And so what you do within the sex act is really should be a reflection of the passion you have to know your wife and your wife to know you, really get you, really. And, and that is what takes a lifetime, and you're still not there. But that's why this marriage is a metaphor for exactly what God has with us, is this mm-hmm. desire for us to really be his children and know the Father. Yeah. You know the relationship Adam and Eve had before the fall, they knew God. Right. They had that relationship. They had that intimate relationship. Right. And what we're all stuck with the disease called sin. And there's a separateness there. That yeah, and I could I could teach for two hours on this, but and we can go back to Genesis and look at this, but we're not going to. <laughs> Why was there the first sin? It comes down to knowing. Knowing. Because Adam and Eve were created to know God and to know each other. And what happened? The darn serpent comes along, who we are not supposed to know, which means we're not supposed to be in any kind of relationship with a serpent. And Eve strikes up this conversation with the serpent. And the serpent starts to deceive her. While the man is sitting right next to her with his mouth silent. Doing no damn thing. And just keeping his mouth shut. And all the time God is sitting there in the garden watching this whole thing happen. Saying, I created you to know me. And you're talking to a serpent that I created? That's not who you are to know. And that started the whole first sin. When they should have really turned around and said, God, (laughs) who's right there in the garden with them. That's the knowing that God, this is why, this is why, this is what God wants. That's why we have this, is to know him. That's yada, yada, yada. Yada, 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 yada. So I want you to just look. So look at Isaiah. This is what sets up everything within Isaiah. Is he starts out by telling, reminding them that that he is their child, he is their father, and they are his children. Very first word, you're my children, right? And what did the children do? They have rebelled against the father. And then, and this is talking about just like cutting you down. It's like the ox knows its owner. These animals know you know their owner. A donkey knows its master. True. But my people don't even know me. That's right. Wow. Yeah. It's like me saying to my dog that just passed away. My dog knew me. My dog knew I was a master. Okay? Great. Awesome. But does my wife know that I really love her? Is there a different knowing 
of all the people, I'm not sitting there having conversations with my dog. Or I mean, wait, say, tell the dog what to do. But there's not a, the knowing cannot happen with animal creatures. It happens with humans. Because we're creating God's image to know. So this yada, this dose here, it starts out everything is they just don't know. And remember when I read Isaiah 6? What's the whole thing about Isaiah 6? Is they don't know. They're not knowing anymore. They're not yada anymore. Is what is the is the judgment that comes down. Make sense? Yep. So this is this is where Isaiah set, sets us up. Alright. So I want to take a little digression. Because I want you to think for a moment. I want to give you an example, the example, I'm going to say, <laughs> in Scripture of this relationship between the father and his children. And in a way, I'm hoping you've not really ever thought or heard about before. <clears throat> in the New Testament, there's a place where God really gets tells us, Jesus actually tells us something that gets at the heart of this father and child relationship. Anybody want to guess what that is? Where do we best capture this thing we're talking about tonight? Where Jesus just nails capturing the relationship that exists between the Father, our Father God, and us as his children. Where is that? I'm going to guess. Think. Okay, I'm going to give you a hint. Parable. Parable. A parable. The the uh, the uh, son. Yes. The wayward what, son. Yes. Very good. What's it called, everyone? Prodigal. The prodigal, prodigal, prodigal son. Prodigal. You know, you know, on that that is something that keeps popping in my head recently. On that, is that. I, I just keep getting the weirdest feelings about like is Christ did he throw that out not just for us but like is, it, is there still hope for Satan is there still that hope that like well, hey Satan is not Satan is not a human created in God's image I, I know I'm right. just I'm saying is that is that something that was thrown out I mean Jesus is Jesus right, right. So, which was full of human it, well, and fully, fully God, yes. right? That's right. so, and has that reign, right? And knew he was going to conquer, and therefore, I, the the prodigal son, everything that the prodigal son does, is exactly what Satan did to God. Okay, well, just let's hold that. I'm not going. Okay, I'm okay. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it makes me think of that. I'm like, wow. That, well, listen to that, listen to what we're going to go through I mean, and tell me whether you still think that or not after this. Okay. I, I, I just don't know. Yeah. I just, okay. just All right. I don't so know what I want to do, so here's what I want to do. Read to you and keep your Bibles closed. So don't even turn to the prodigal son. Don't even turn there because I want you to just listen. Okay. But this, this story of the prodigal son is probably, is, is, I would say, the most radical story of all of Scripture. All right. The problem is we don't capture it very well, in part because we don't understand the Middle Eastern culture. All right. This is a story seeped 
in the culture of Jesus' day, the Middle East, where there is a different type of culture than America where you have honor and shame and a lot of things going on. And so in the prodigal son story, Jesus is, is telling those people of those days this story where they would just go, oh my gosh, <laughs> okay? They would be shocked. Problem is we have read it and heard it so many times. We don't, and we don't know the Middle Eastern culture. Thankfully, um, there's a guy named Ken Bailey years and years ago. He actually grew up in the Middle East and he was a missionary and a scholar and has written a lot of books about this where he really studied the Middle Eastern culture. And that Middle Eastern culture that exists today over there is very close to what it was like in Jesus' day. It hasn't changed that much. Amazing. And so there's a lot of nuances going on in this prodigal son story that brings out, there's a lot of cultural nuances that we just simply miss because we don't. We're not part of the Middle Eastern culture. So he started, he did a lot of stuff. He's got some books on this stuff. He's become sort of the, the, he's now passed away, um, but becomes sort of the expert on understanding the Middle Eastern culture as it helps us to understand something like the prodigal son parable, which he actually wrote on. Um, so this is how the people in Jesus' time would be hearing this and the, the nuances going on about what goes in the prodigal son. Um, and so anyway, you can read his books and stuff like that, but he, he's become, he sort of started this process, but he's become sort of one that people have accepted and going, yeah, we see now, this is the way the Middle East works. Now we get things like honor and shame and things we just don't so much get in our culture. So the prodigal son story, I want to read to you, and we'll just spend the rest of our time, I just want to read to you this story, but I want to bring out some things about the culture, about the break, to take the story and really nail, I think, this relationship that God has with us between the Father and the Son. Okay? Because what God, what we're seeing here in Isaiah is God is crying out, trying to say to each one of us, you are my children. I want to be your father. I want you to know me. All right? So I want you to listen to this. I'm going to give you backstory, okay, as we go through the prodigal son story. I'm going to try to do it pretty, somewhat quickly, okay? So listen to the story. So this is what it says. It says, <clears throat> the parable of the prodigal son. It starts out, and he said, Jesus, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. That right there is something so you know there's no recorded instance in anything in the last 2,000 years where a son has ever done this to a father. There's no recorded history of this happening during the time of Jesus. This does not happen in the Middle Eastern culture. Because if this was to happen... What you're doing is you're saying, I wish my dad to be dead. Mm -hmm. You're asking for an inheritance that is rightfully yours before it is rightfully yours. You are saying, I don't, I want my father as good as dead. Do you get that? Because you're saying, the son is saying, give me the share of property that's coming to me and give it to me now. 
And he's saying that to his father. <laughs> that is, that it just it would it would it, so in essence, this is probably what the father should do in the Middle Eastern culture at this point: lock up a son or kill a son. And if he killed a son even for asking for this, it would be okay within the whole town, because that is that is below that that's the most form of complete annihilation and disrespect in a parental relationship, which is what holds that society together, holds our society together. We don't maybe realize that. So just to start out, when the story begins, there's this is just shocking to the people listening to it going, what? And they would be like listening to this going, what's the father going to do? All right? And it says, and, so what does the father do? The last thing in the world the father should do is request, give the son the request. All right. Because when, so what it says is the father, so, and he, it says, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he, the father, divided his property between them. So at this point, what happens is, is that the, the son, the father, takes his property, and he has two sons, and he divides it evenly between these two sons. What does that mean? The father no longer owns any property. Right. Completely, again, unheard of. But what's interesting is if that was to take place, the father still has a right to live in that property. Okay? So he's now taken this property, he's divided in two. One son is he's going to live in that son's property. This is what's going to happen. But what does happens to the other piece of the property? Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had from the, from this money from this property and took it on a journey into the far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So now the one younger son takes all this property and goes to who? This is a Jew. Okay? <laughs> takes his property given to his, by his father which should never have happened and he goes to the Gentiles and spends all of his money. Think of the town this father lives in. What has this son now done? He's not just ostracized himself from the father, but he can never come back into that town again because he has taken the property of that town and taken that property and given it to the Gentiles. The worst thing, <laughs> you just... Can't imagine how that's like the worst thing you could be doing. Okay, all right. So far, got the picture. Okay, sure. and he, through reckless living, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose mm -hmm. in the country, and he began to be in need. So here's a son out there in the middle of nowhere with Gentiles now as a Jew. <clears throat> so he, so he begins to be in need because he spent everything. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, a Gentile, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was lodging to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. In that culture, unlike ours, hospitality is the main thing. So what would have happened as being shown here is that he would have gone to the Gentiles 
he would say, I'm in need. And the Gentiles in, in the Middle Eastern culture would have to say, yeah, I'll give you something to do. You can't refuse a sojourner coming and saying, I need help. That doesn't happen in that, in that society. But those Gentiles would not want him to be around very long. <laughs> like, move on, guy. All right. So what do they do? They give him the most menial job to feed pigs. Okay, and he's starving, and all he can eat. And and what? Do, well, how was Jews' relationship? A Jews' relationship with pigs? Mm-hmm. It's foul. <laughs> right. You can't eat them. Okay. Yeah, exactly. They're like the dirtiest, foulest. It's a sin to eat with a pig. All right. So then it says, but when he came to himself, well. <laughs> All right. Now that does not mean repentance, by the way. That means all of a sudden he realizes, I'm done. I'm done. I've spent everything. I'm screwed. I'm going to die. Okay. So he says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? And he thinks to himself, all right. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he thinks, I'm going to go back to my dad. All right. And, of course, my dad, I totally lost the ability to be a son anymore. But I'm going to go back, and I'm going to say, hey, give me a job just like your hired servants. So he's not asking to be a slave here. Okay, a slave, is, he's pretty much the one below a family member, which is someone who's been hired to do, he's going to make money. He says, I'm going to go back to my dad and do this. <clears throat> All right. And then it says, so he arose and came to his father. So he's coming back into the town. And I want you to just picture this for a moment. Here is this town that he has done the most unthinkable thing that could never be done. And he's going to start to walk back into this town. What do you think the people in the town are going to do? <laughs> okay? I mean, this is a person who com- would be completely ostracized. Now, this is the way the towns worked back then, different than ours today. The wealthy people lived in the center of the town. As you get out further from the town, there's less and less wealth. And then you have fields and where all the agriculture takes place. All right? So you can picture that as he's coming back into town, he, that's the way he's going to come. His father, who is portrayed here because of his property, is, would be rich. And is in the center of the town where he would be living with his other son. Okay? <clears throat> so you can just picture it's almost like a circle. So here comes the sun as he starts would be coming in through the fields into this town. <clears throat> what kind of risk is he putting himself at? I mean, the city that these people are going to look and just go, is that you? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it just you can just sort of like feel the tension that as the people are hearing this story from Jesus, they're going, what? All right. And probably at every bated breath of Jesus telling the story, the people are going, what's going to happen next? No way. No way. Okay? Because <laughs> Jesus is telling them. <clears throat> he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. 
So his father is in the center of the city, the middle. He's You get this picture of his father is constantly looking out, hoping his son will one day return. All right. Making sure that when he does, he's not going to get killed by the town people before he even comes in. And he's looking out and he's looking for this long lost son that he loves so much. All right. <clears throat> and you think, well, what's he going to do? All right. And then it says, and this is where we miss where we miss a lot. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. All right. And ran and embraced and kissed him. This phrase right there, ran and embraced and kissed him. In the um, Arabic translations of this, of the Bible, they will change the language actually because this is completely unheard of. This is what happens is the rich, the, the a father like of this statue who had this land would have been wearing a robe that goes all the way down. That this is what they, they wear a robe that goes all the way down here, okay? And they and it covers your ankles because if you show your ankles, it's shame in that society. So anybody of any to do would be wearing a robe that covers all the way down to here and would be wearing sandals. And a man like that in today's society, even if you go over there will walk very upright, very just, you know, slow, never showing his ankles, okay? Because I thought that was just for women. Yeah, there's respect, I know, but there's respect and there's honor in this father as he, as he would walk around. But this father does what? He feels compassion and he ran. Yeah. But do it. Tell Come me. Up his robe. He pulls up his robe. Girded his loins. Yeah. Girded his and and yeah. shows girded his what? Yeah. Shows his ankles. That's right. This is it. this that right there is completely the most dishonoring thing that this man of statue can do in front of all of his town. Okay. He is shaming himself. And he's running. Now he and now he runs. Which even is even more shameful. Because like you're doing what? You're running to your son? What should be happening? Your son should be coming to you. Alright? And notice what happens. The father embraced him and kissed him. The father kissed him. What should the son really have done in this situation? Kiss the father. Exactly. This is what would happen. I mean, the culture at this time knows this. That son should be on his knees, begging for forgiveness from the father. On his face. On his face. Okay. But that's not happening. The father is the one that's come and embraced the son and kissed him. All right. So you can just see at every point here, the father is doing way more in showing the love for the son that you can even imagine. And then it says, um, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I won't go into a lot of stuff here. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Now I want you to listen to what happens. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. 
and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. What is the father doing here? You might have missed this in the prodigal son. What is the father doing? He's redeeming him. He is honoring him. He's doing more than honoring him. He's giving him a robe. It's like a birthright almost. And a ring. And the ring which speaks to authority. He gives him the robe. Family shield. Exactly. And he puts shoes on his feet. Slaves and servants during that time never had shoes on their feet. Sandals that you would not have them. What has, I want you to think about this, what has the father now done to his son? He's restored him. He not only restored him, he even goes completely beyond, <laughs> beyond restoring him. Give him yeah. all power and authority. He rewards That's him. right. He's given him all power and authority. He is now conferred unto the son. What? Mm-hmm. The same thing is given prestige. It's what? Prestige. Prestige. He is now, the son now becomes like the father. The father. Yeah. He is now put Uh-oh. unto the son this robe and basically like what the father had. Mm-hmm. He is now conferring unto the son and says, No longer are now you, son. Not, not only you, my son, but now you are to become the father like the Father. So he's actually conferring the authority. He's conferring unto this Father. Hmm. His love is a son so much now, he's actually saying, now it's time for you to become the Father. I never got that. Yeah. And you would, you would miss that because no, that's what's I've happening in this totally. culture. Because that's what's happening is Jesus is saying, you are my child, but the child's got to grow up. Right? Sure. We all have we were the sons one time of our fathers. At some point we can we are no longer just the children. We're always the children of our father. But at one point we ourselves have to become fathers. Alright. And so what you have here is you have that's what's happening. Is un the son the father is conferring unto his child and saying, Now you have the authority. You are now to become like me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go into the rest of it. This is why the son, the other son, is so angry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah slightly. <clears throat> because the other son has now seen this father say, You now have become the one like me in authority. And that's what that is. So as we're reading, I, I go through a lot more detail, but I don't want to for time. As we read and hear in Isaiah, we're reading that God is calling us children. We are the sons, okay? But is those sons, we are to ultimately become like the Father. And that's really what we're going to see throughout Isaiah, is that the children of Israel and the leaders of Israel were to be like the Father, and they're not. <laughs> they turned away. They no longer hear. They no longer understand. They're no longer calling God their Father anymore. 
and they've abandoned him. And God is reaching out to them like this prodigal son story and saying, come back, come back. <laughs> okay? But why? Because he, the father wants the children to know him. So he, they can then become like him. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So ultimately, the reason why I go back, go back to the very beginning of what we said tonight. Why are we in this word? <laughs> why do we seep ourselves in it? Can you ever know your father fully? No. But this, we're in this because we are to, because God wants us to know him more intimately than we can know anybody. And we constantly are in this because it's like, I don't go to my wife and go, honey, I know you're like this. I don't have to relate to you anymore. You know, mm -hmm. we don't do that, right? We don't, we don't go to our wives and say, oh, I love you. You know that. Big deal. I don't need to do anymore. They'd be looking at us going, what? That's not a relationship. No. The relationship is this constant wrestling, hearing, understanding in the word. But the whole point we're going to see in Isaiah is not just to know God, but to ultimately reflect who he is to the rest of the world. To become like the Father. And become, grow up. <laughs> and I think in a lot of ways, that's why, that's maturity in Christ. Maturity in Christ is when you take this word and you know God so well that you become like the Father when you're in this world, whoever it may be. And that's really what our whole Christian life is about. Yes. And that's why Isaiah starts us with the very beginning, children. And so as we go through the rest of Isaiah, I want you guys to just keep in mind, ultimately, why are you here Tuesday night? <laughs> okay, I'm doing more lecturing tonight, sort of, but why are we here? We're here, ultimately, not just to gain knowledge, but to know the Father. Right. That's the goal. To know the Father so okay. well that we become like the Father to all those around. So I'm going to end with one, just one thing. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys for going a little mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. So this is from, this is in Luke, where the prodigal son story is. I want you to hear Jesus talk about, this would be, you know how Jeff's going through the Sermon on the Mount? Um, this would be, this would be, um, this, this is almost like the Sermon on the Mount part of, of Luke, but it adds something that Matthew doesn't. Um, and I'm going to read just so you know, I'm going to read Luke 6, and then we'll end with this. So I want you to listen to how this happens that we're talking about. So listen, listen to how we are to become like the Father. All right. And that's, again, what we're going to be learning all through Isaiah. It says, but I say to you, Jesus says, but I say to you, and just think how radical this is, but I say to you who hear, love your neighbor. No. No. What? Enemy. Child. Your what? Enemy. Enemies. Yep. Very good, Chris. But I say to you who hear... <laughs> love your enemies do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you 
Pray for those who abuse you. Think how rad today you go around talking that way to people. They're like, what? You. They did that to you. You should not treat them like that anymore. You should, you know, this, do this, okay? To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. This is this whole robe thing we're talking about. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand the back. Think about that again, okay? As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that for you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But how are we like the Father who's treated us this way? But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Why? And your reward will be great and you will be and you will be sons same word children and you will be children of the most high for he is kind to the grateful and this is the shocking part he is kind to the grateful and the evil hmm. you know, I saw Did that you hear? what yeah okay <laughs> And then it ends with the prodigal son all wrapped up in one sentence. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Which is exactly what we saw in the prodigal son. Isaiah. We are going to see as we go through Isaiah this lived out. This is what God calls his people to do. This is what he calls us to do. This is why we stay in Isaiah and the world like you guys do so faithfully every Tuesday night. So we are to be merciful even as the Father is merciful. And we're going to see how we just what I just read there is so much of what you're going to see in Isaiah. Is how the people have completely turned away from this vision that God has given them as, their, as his children. And says, I want you to know me. And they've turned away and they have become not like the Father. They've become like what? The, the what? Prodigal. Like the prodigal, exactly. They or they even worse, they become like the very evil that's been going on. They become like the nations that don't know God. They become like what did Pharaoh? He did not know God. They actually become like Pharaoh, who does not know God, which is why Isaiah says here. And it has this big thing we keep bringing Isaiah. So that's, anyway, a lot of talking tonight, but I just want to set you guys up. This is like the theme we're going to just see hmm. over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Because God says, hey, Bill, Charlie, Jason, John, Chris, Bruce, Steve, Gray, Gil is not under anymore, okay? Yeah. He wants all of us to be his children and to know him so well that we are like him. 
And that's why we constantly hear and understand. That makes sense? Yeah. And he never gives up on us. And he never gives up on us. <laughs> That's wonderful. And then he asks us to not do that for someone else. <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> that's the hard, hard part. part. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Father, we just thank you for this night. I appreciate these guys staying late. There's a lot, a lot to go through tonight. And thank you for just this prodigal son story that gives us the vision, Lord, the reality of how much you really do love us. We have been those sons who just dishonored you sinned against you, been the wayward sons, and yet you've called us back. Um, I even think of Steve's story that he told us at the beginning, Lord, of how you called Steve back, each one of us, Lord. And Father, I just pray that as we go through the rest of Isaiah now, that we will become, just what we will know you, God, know you intimately. Thank you for your spirit you've given to us to know you. It will be ones to hear with our ears and to see with our eyes and to understand with our hearts. And Lord, that we can become to everyone we meet in this world a father to them who loves them like you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless.